Okay, Pasa, Mufasa. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Micopreneur Podcast. Today, we've got a true pioneer in the world of visual storytelling. You might know him as the director of Fantastic Fungi. You might know him as the cinematographer and time-lapse extraordinaire behind the Moving Art series on Netflix. And you might not know him as one of the visual effects contributors to the 1980 cult classic film, Altered States, that depicts the life and work of famed psychonaut and dolphin enthusiast, John C. Lilly. Wherever you recognize him from, Louis has been doing what he does very, very well for a long, long time. And today we're going to be discussing his most recent theatrical release, Gratitude Revealed, now showing in select theaters. This film explores how we can live a more meaningful life full of gratitude through intimate conversations with everyday people, thought leaders, and personalities. And it's compiled from footage that Louis has collected over a period of a number of years all over the world. And I personally am deeply grateful that Louis has chosen to join us on the Mycopreneur podcast. So without further ado, my friends, Mycophiles, rejoice. Let's hear what Louis has to say about Gratitude Revealed. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Micopreneur Podcast, and we're very honored today to be joined by Louis Schwartzberg, which is a name many of you are probably familiar with. So, Louis, welcome to the Micopreneur Podcast. Thanks for joining us, and how are you doing, and what is inspiring gratitude in you on this beautiful afternoon? Wow. Well, it's great to be here with you, Dennis. Today is really a warm day, so I'm inspired and grateful for sunlight, (laughs) which is the source of all energy. And it's a good way to get started. And this morning I checked out my time-lapse room. The daffodils are opening slowly. So I'm grateful that I'll get a good shot the next couple of days. We have no doubt that you will. And I'm personally very grateful that you would join us. So your new film, Gratitude Revealed, is out in select theaters now. I can't wait to personally watch it once it gets down to my neck of the woods. And I understand that you've compiled this movie from years of footage that you've taken, right? So I'm curious, with so much chaos and so much going on in the world, the challenges that we're facing collectively, socially and environmentally, why release this particular film at this point in history? That's a great question. I think that, you know, right now there's a lot of despair and disconnection. We're coming out of this, you know, the pandemic where we took for granted things like having, you know, dinner with friends and family. There's a lot of environmental degradation. The political discourse is pretty much in the gutter. There's a lot of reasons why people feel depressed. And people are talking about the fact there could be a big mental health crisis coming around the corner. So given the fact that I couldn't really be on the road filming during the pandemic, I was able to tap into my large library of these magic moments that I've been collecting for many years that I thought would, you know, really amplify and and showcase what gratitude is all about. And I strung it all together. And sometimes the universe guides you into like figuring out what to do when. When we released Fantastic Fun Guy in 2019, I'd been working on that for 15 years. But that was the perfect time when the sort of the psychedelic renaissance really took off. And here I am now in 2022, never anticipating COVID as an example. And I think the universe decided this is the perfect time for us to be able to understand the value and the health benefits of gratitude. 
Beautiful. And you collected this footage, as previously mentioned, from all over the world. I've seen shots in the trailer from Iceland, shots that look like they were from the Himalayas, from any number of different places. And I'm sure that you've accrued a number of touching stories off camera from the people that have been involved in making this film and from your travels and all of your work. So I'd be curious, are there any anecdotes that you can share about some of the memorable experiences that you were blessed with off camera, even if it was a simple, basic thing, like sharing a meal with someone somewhere? I'd love it if we could get an off camera anecdote of one of the experiences that you had. Well, let's see. So yeah, there these are like little magic moments that I kind of capture as I travel. I never really have a, a firm idea like how it fits. It's almost like when you're doing a mosaic, you know, you get these beautiful pieces of stones and you're going to put it all together. But it, to, to answer your question, you know, a lot of times, a lot of the people that are, a lot of the portraits in the film, they found me. I didn't find them. A good example would be the rug weaver in my movie. She's like a earth mama up in Appalachia. And I was at a gas station in Kentucky. Do you remember the days when we would like unfold something called a map that looked like an accordion? <laughs> so I'm looking at this map on the hood of my car as I'm getting gas. And, and she comes up to me and she goes, you look a little lost. You're not from these parts. And I go, well, I'm a filmmaker and I'm going to do a story about coal miners up in those mountains. And she said, well, what's your name? I said, Louis Schwartzberg. And she goes, well, if I were you, I'd say your name is McCoy or McClintock before you go up in those hills. And uh, so she had this kind of really beautiful, you know, glint in her eye. And I asked what she did. She said, she's a rug weaver. I said, well, I come back down. Uh, I'd love to come to your farm and, uh, yeah, maybe we could film. So I go to her farm and she's got the most incredible giant, like, you know, loom where she's weaving this rug. And as she's, as we're filming her, there was a tractor outside the window and the sound guy goes, Hey, hold a roll. We got tractor noise, you know, and we're having this conversation. Should we tell the neighbor to stop mowing or, you know, plowing the field or can we wait a little while or, you know, what should we do? And, and so she's hearing this conversation and then she kind of goes, hold on. I think I got this. And we do another take. And she says, you know, Albert out there, he works in rows uh, going back and forth, just like I do, you know, weaving back and forth. He doesn't have a job. Nobody tells him to go out there and work every day. That's called self-discipline. I need to learn that. It's one of the most touching moments in the film. And it's an example of how like a technical problem became a beautiful story. And that evening, as the crew is rapping, it's twilight. I'm sitting on a porch with her and she whips out her homemade moonshine. And I swear to God, I hallucinated on this moonshine, which I've never had on alcohol before. I was just so grateful that I got to have this experience of sitting on this like porch up in the Smoky Mountains with this woman, you know, uh, Earth Mama, a real Earth Mama, you know, pioneer Earth Mama and how blessed I was to be able to, to have that experience. Well, that sounds like some Appalachian magic to me. Absolutely. And I agree with you in the sense of when you're traveling and you get to have these transcendental moments that come from very ordinary or seemingly ordinary circumstances. 
for me, that's alchemy. And I could share a recent anecdote from a trip my wife and I went on to the Middle East earlier this year. And we were in Baghdad, Iraq, which is quite an interesting place. Doesn't see a lot of tourism. I was there to visit friends and they were gone one day. They had to go back to work. So my wife and I went to Old Town Baghdad by ourselves. And we had been told, you know, it's not the most safe place still. There's a lot of lingering tension. There's a lot of sectarianism. So we were, of course, wanting to see Baghdad, but quite, you know, concerned, if you will, or, you know, scrutinizing every situation we were in. And we ended up meeting someone who was just so helpful and friendly for no reason. And I realized this person had no reason to go out of their way. They just heard us speaking English, saw we were a little uncomfortable and said, I want to show you my Baghdad, took us to the raisin juice shop, took us to an art museum, took us to a hookah cafe. And that was one of those things I, I always told her, I was like, you couldn't have bought this experience. You know, we couldn't have done this with a tour guide. This was a totally organic, natural everyday experience that ended up being magical because of that human connection we had. So I just wanted to share that as it came up. All right. So you do incredible work as so many people around the world are familiar with your time lapses, but I'm curious if you could walk us through maybe some of the gear that you used. And I understand that this was probably shot over a number of different years, but can you walk us through a little bit of the camera setup that you were using? And I've had Steven Axford on the program. You may be familiar with him. He does incredible time lapses of fungi as well. So would love to hear some of your gear and maybe some of the techniques that you utilize for the time lapses in Gratitude Revealed. Well, I think the most important <clears throat> ingredient certainly is patience and being able to, you know, understand how things grow. But starting in my early days with 35 millimeter movie film, which uh, I was able to modify these old fashioned cameras to be able to shoot one frame at a time. After that, I was shooting some of it in 70 millimeter, actually 65 millimeter. 70 millimeter is the print that comes off the 65. But even back then, I mean, one of the reasons I got inspired to do it, I mean, film, you know, back in the early 70s, was a hundred dollars a minute for the film development processing compare that today to digital what digital would cost for a minute of a high resolution imagery so anyways eventually around 2000 i migrated to shooting digital uh using primarily still cameras and that's what i i do today i i shoot 2d and 3d time lapses in my studio 24 hours a day seven days a week non-stop Amazing. And that's something I learned from Stephen Axford is that I was thinking all of his time lapses were out in nature, but I guess he has a trailer or like you have a studio and you're able to control the conditions a little bit better. Do you notice when you're out in nature and you see something that you, you set up, do you have to take very specific precautions in order to set it up to capture that? And is there like a difference in the way you approach time lapsing in your studio versus time lapsing out in the world? Well, time lapsing out in the world is really difficult because you've got fluctuations with lighting. You know, obviously you got day to night, you know, and wind and bugs. So it's it's extremely difficult. The stuff that Stephen Axford does outdoors is remarkable. I primarily shoot indoors because it's hard enough to do that. I, I create little mini kind of diorama sets to make it feel like we're indoors and it works. So let's take it back to 1980 because I recently learned that you were a time-lapse cinematographer 
on the film Altered States, which is a, I'd call it a cult classic. And I was really excited to learn that because of course, like many other people, I first became of your, aware of your work with Fantastic Fungi. And I was like, I saw Altered States in college my freshman year with the other psychonauts on campus at USF. Like, that's really cool. And I'm also a John Lilly fan. He's a very fascinating character. So I'm just curious, was that your first major film that you worked on? And how did you get attached to that project? And what was the experience like of working on Altered States for you? Yeah. Well, it wasn't the first. Actually, my first feature film was a film called Guitar Picks and Roach Clips. That was the first one. And then after that, I actually worked on The Secret Life of Plants, which was released actually by Paramount based on the book around 1978. And Stevie Wonder did a, uh, a double album in conjunction with that release, which was pretty cool. I mean, on Altered States, I met Stuart Baird. He was the editor on Superman and Lethal Weapon. I met him through Richard Donner, Dick Donner, who did all, who, who directed Superman, all the lethal weapons. Great guy. He passed a couple of years ago, two years ago, whose last name was actually Schwartzberg, which is a bit of trivia. But yeah, Dick Donner, his film has grossed over a billion dollars, you know, if you're familiar with his work. And um, <clears throat> so there were, so on Altered States, they had this guy, you know, Ken Russell was a director. He was, he was an alcoholic. And so I think they kind of booted him out of the cutting room. But being an alcoholic, he really didn't understand what a hallucinogenic experience was or a psychedelic experience. And so Stuart, the editor, brought me on board. And I was able to bring a more organic approach. Ken Russell had these ideas like, oh, let's get like World War I fighter planes and big props. And I said, that's not what it's like at all. <clears throat> and so what I did was I used a lot of the stuff that I'd previously shot for myself, like fields of poppies, which you see in the movie. Um, I shot stuff specifically for the movie, not time-lapse, but they, they wanted like crazy fish and eels in a big water tank and my time-lapse clouds. And I helped them really create what, what looks like a quote-unquote psychedelic experience. I was really uh, just amazed and gosh, I was probably 30 years old, you know? So the, the fact that I was there working on the Warner Brother lot with, with guys like Dick Donner and Stuart Baird, I mean, that to me was like a dream come true. And the fact that I was able to use my imagery to blow people away, even though it's a quote unquote psychedelic you know, film, and it's a bit of a weird film, if, if you remember, I mean, that you would go into, you know, take magic mushrooms or into go into an isolation tank and become a werewolf. That, that's Hollywood for you. But it was a baby step in the right direction to get people talking about it and to see these Harvard psychologists rapid fire dialogue, you know, talking about consciousness and altered consciousness, I thought was really, um, for me, a, a mind expanding experience as well. I think for all of us, Louis, for myself included, and you know, the way that we produce media and consume media has changed so much since those days. And it's my understanding that you intentionally released Fantastic Fungi as an in-person theater experience so that people would watch it in community. And I caught the screening in San Diego at the Hotel Del Coronado, which was a phenomenal screening. I believe you were in attendance. And I'm curious, 
Was there a similar conversation around Gratitude Revealed being released theatrically instead of overtly as a streaming property? And why is the theater model of release still viable and impactful in the era of mass streaming? Again, the same reason for Gratitude Revealed is to build community and to, and to hold a space for a conversation, especially now that we were in lockdown for several years, for people to be able to come together and look at each other and hug each other, you know? I mean, my God, your know, connection is one of the most core ingredients of, of, our, of our human survival. You know, we want inspiration, we want connection, we want healing, we want all three. And I feel like this was a way to bring that together. And obviously from the filmmaking point of view, seeing something on a big screen with, you know, 5.1 surround sound in a theater and a shared experience. I mean, everybody's energy, especially in Gratitude Revealed, I mean, a lot of people laugh and cry during the movie. And when you hear other people doing that, it's, it just sends you on a whole different experience than watching it alone. Um, it's an emotional roller coaster ride. So watching it in the theater is by far the ultimate way to do it. We will eventually um, put it out on you know, video on demand, probably in November near Thanksgiving, because gratitude and Thanksgiving go together pretty well. Um, but we want people to come together and connect. And, and that's the beginning of building community. One of the things I think we learned when you know uh, Donald Trump got elected was maybe we were just hanging out too much in our own little cocoons and not, you know, organizing and not being connected. And there's a downside to that, that other, you know, minorities can sort of take control. We need to all, I think, speak up and connect and become organized and become a movement. And I think Fantastic Fungi catalyzed the movement. I want to catalyze another movement with Gratitude Revealed. And in the case of Fantastic Fungi, that absolutely worked with me because that screening was partially sponsored by the San Diego Mycological Society. And after going to the screening, I was able to meet a number of the folks who were involved with the SD Myco and end up becoming a board member with them and building a bunch of really meaningful relationships in my life. And I always viewed that particular theatrical experience as the, the event that galvanized those relationships because it got me out of my you know couch watching Netflix into a theatrical community experience, got me talking, got me having conversations before and after. And you know so 100%, I can understand where you were coming from and it worked in my particular case and circumstance. And also Dennis, but Dennis also just really quickly, a lot of people have told me that you know they, they, they weren't able to have the conversation with their parents or, or, or relatives or workers, whatever it might be. They would, and they were able to just like invite them to come to the screening, you know? And that was the, the way to be able to open up the conversation and take away the fear and the paranoia and, and, and preconceived ideas that people had about psychedelics which was really, really powerful. And that's the case for me as well as, you know, I come from a very conservative traditional background, but then I went up to school in San Francisco where it was quite normalized. You know, they have the legacy of the summer of love and all of that. So trying to bridge those gaps has always been a challenge for me since graduating from college. But I think with these powerful cinematic experiences, it helps us to create a platform where you can maybe have those conversations without feeling like it's so alienating because, you know, that shared communal experience 
experience and a powerful, moving cinematic experience is something that we can all get behind and we can all share. And speaking of other community events, uh, I also saw you at the Telluride Mushroom Festival in 2021, and I don't think we had a chance to interact, but that was my first Telluride Mushroom Festival, and it blew me away. You know, I met so many people that I'm still in touch with, people who have come on the podcast, friendships that were, you know, seated or continued from there. And I would like to, to hear from you. What does Telluride Mushroom Festival mean for you? I feel like you go, you know, pretty frequently or certainly have been there the last couple of years. What does Telluride Mushroom Festival mean to you? Well, it's a great gathering of bloated pleasure seekers with a scientific bent. That's a quote from Eugenia Bone in the movie. First of all, Telluride is gorgeous. I mean, it, it could be a, a national park, you know, easily. Um, so being there and being able to go out in, in, the, in the mountains and forage for, for mushrooms, that's a great experience. My favorite is, is the mushroom parade that we have, you know, where people dress up as mushrooms and they take over all of Main Street and they go up and down the street screaming, we love mushrooms. And then there's a drum circle. It's just like, it's the best. What can I say? It's like, you know, being able to just kind of go back and, and be a kid and be a young, you know, fun, carefree rebel spirit. It's fun to just go back and just, you know, enjoy life and, and be with people that, you know, share your vision. Yes, I felt very in my element there, especially that first night. I remember there was a mixer at, at the opera house and there was a band playing and I felt this sense of permission to just talk to everyone there that like everybody was there because we all love mushrooms and you know people seem to be very receptive and I had an opportunity to you know engage a number of my hero mycologists or people in the mushroom community where I had only seen them online right or in movies and stuff but here they were in the flesh and they were cool talking to me so there's a little plug for Telluride I absolutely love love that festival and I'll be back next year but then it's also what's really cool is and it's really expanded but like all the little pop-up you know, uh, booths they have where people are like, you know, inventing all kinds of cool mushroom products, you know, mushroom tinctures, mushroom jerky, mushroom cookies, mushroom chocolates, you know, everyone, they're, they're all trying to figure out how to make a living in, by, their, by their love of mushrooms. So one of the things I've done is we've created a marketplace at fantasticfungi.com where we're bringing the audience to these little startups that are just inventing all kinds of cool adaptogenic functional food products, which is so expanding and, and, and so healthy and, and so creative. So I love the fact that we're helping kind of create a marketplace and bringing all these little people together. And that's where the whole idea for Mycopreneur came from is I, you know, lived in San Francisco for a number of years and was abreast of a lot of the startup ecosystem and surrounded by the Silicon Valley startup ecosystem. And I often would think, I wish that people who had these kinds of resources and faculties and connections would maybe pour more of the, the work that they're doing into mycocentric pursuits, because I think that, you know, it's very environmentally sustainable. It's very socially sustainable in a lot of ways. And I'm a believer in that. I'm an unabashed believer in the power of mushrooms and community to get shit done and to make, you know, real meaningful change. So uh, I appreciate that you're doing that too. And I've seen that you all have like a subscription basket or did at one point with a number of products, including some of the folks who have been on the Mycopreneur podcast before. So fantastic work with all that. 
So I would love to hear about if you've ever considered some of these other newer forms of media that are emerging, right? Augmented reality, virtual reality. I know that Alejandro Inaritu, who's a wonderful director in his own right, has experimented with doing VR where there was a theatrical release where they created a whole environment where migrants would cross the desert and people had that experience of going into a tent and really becoming a migrant, essentially crossing a border and having border patrol chasing them. And that's a phenomenal project. It's just one example, but there's all kinds of people who are branching out into new media. I've been out to the Savannah College of Art and Design and they're pretty heavily invested in creating you know, XR and uh, augmented reality with the programs they're teaching. Is that something you've ever considered doing? Is that something that you're particularly interested in? Yeah, I shot some VR at the very beginning years ago when it was first came out. And I think there's some benefits and there's some downsides. I mean, one thing is how to get rid of yourself in the shot. <laughs> it's hard to direct that type of stuff, but I'm waiting for the resolution to get better. I think the possibilities are great, but the resolution's not there. That's something in my entire career I've always been focused on, you know, having people like Ansel Adams and Edward Weston be an inspiration. You always want like the highest resolution, fine grain, gorgeous image. And also because right now I'm bringing my imagery into healthcare and allowing people to see it on a giant 80 inch screen. We just finished a clinical trial at St. John's combining my nature imagery with psilocybin to treat alcohol addiction, for example. And the benefit of having it be on a giant, you know, 80 inch, you know, 4K digital display in a hospital is that you don't have to worry about germs and the hygiene of the headgear. A lot of times people don't want to wear the headgear for more than 10 minutes. You know, 3D in the home sort of failed. People didn't want to wear the glasses. And so I'm waiting for it to become uh, either more high resolution. Also, I've seen screens now that show 3D without glasses, but they're small. But that means it could be bigger someday. So my focus right now is just on high resolution. And I think I want to create immersive experiences in like museums where, you know, we've, we've projected on the Vatican, we've projected at COP22, where I want to be able to have giant high res images that could go on giant surfaces. That's kind of where my focus is. Wonderful, amazing. And I agree with you about the 360 imagery or cameras. I got all excited about the GoPro 360 when they released it. And I realized that I'm probably better off just making compelling content you know, in 1080 or 4K even, but rather than trying to focus on building this new technology, because you're right, the audience really isn't there. And I've seen 3D movies, you know, where they give you the glasses and you go to the cinema. I think I watched Star Wars, The Force Awakens in 3D and it kind of gave me a headache, right? So maybe someday we'll get there, but I think if you can tell an immersive, capturing, captivating story in 2D, right? Do you need to go that extra mile right now? I don't know. When it comes to storytelling, look, I'm looking at you, you're looking at me. This is our worldview. We look forward. I mean, do you care what's behind my head or your head? Do you care what's under your butt right now? How important is that, not only in your life, but telling the story? So to go to all that effort to capture all that stuff, when as an artist, you want to direct people on the story. You want to you know, direct where they're looking at and what they're listening to and what they're viewing and what they're feeling. It's called direction. It's hard to direct if it's 360. 
I feel. Sure. Well, one thing that is very important to storytelling and something that I try to lean heavily into in the content I do, you know, the the moving images, obviously there's an audio component a lot of times to that, which contributes to the overall impact and the experience that the audience has. And I always love to pick people's brains about how you go about choosing the soundtracks that accompany your visuals. Is that something that you're personally involved with or is there someone that you outsource that to who you trust or is it a combination of the two? It's my choice. <laughs> If I hear good music from a good composer or an artist, you know, I'll try to engage them and see if it's possible that we could work together. If, it, if I think it fits with my imagery, Moving Art on Netflix, for example, we got over 20 half hour episodes of nothing but music and imagery, no narration. And I work with a number of different artists. Someone like Lindsey Sterling probably has like 30 million views on YouTube to, you know, more eclectic composers that don't have a big following. So it's whatever turns me on. Yeah, I, I noticed with, I think it was Planet Blue, there, Hans Zimmer did a collaboration with Radiohead and I'm a huge Radiohead fan. And I had already seen Planet Blue and uh, the imagery there, but hearing it with the soundtrack and with the remixed version of Bloom, the track with Hans Zimmer, took it to a completely different level for me. So that's something, whenever I watch a film or watch cinema, I'm always listening to the soundtrack very intently. And as a media creator myself, that's often one of the first things I'll do is try to find a piece of music that suits the tone that I'm going for, right? Is that sound design and that music, something that I love so much. I'm a huge Kronos Quartet fan too. They do a lot of epic scoring for films. And, you know, I used to teach multimedia production in high school in San Diego. And we would do these exercises with kids where you would take a comedy film and recut the trailer as a horror film by changing the music, right? And just showing what a dynamic that audio can add to that. So it's something that I kind of like to geek out about. We've kind of hit the sweet spot right now. I think I've covered most of the stuff I wanted to dive into. Yeah, let's loop back to Gratitude Revealed and love to hear about the rest of the screenings that are going on. I know there was just a global screening that, you know, synced up all over the place and there's been European releases. You were just in the Bay Area and up in Portland, I believe. So where are some of the upcoming theaters where people can catch it? And what are your thoughts regarding, you know, future projects on the horizon for you? Well, I would suggest that you know, people go to gratitudereveal.com and you'll see the listing of all the theaters where it's currently playing. I think we're at least 15 different markets right now. L.A., San Francisco, Sedona, you know, et cetera. It just opened up in Martha's Vineyard. It's going to open up in Tucson, so stay tuned. Yeah, I mean, after the theatrical run, or hopefully continues, sometime near Thanksgiving, we will probably migrate to VOD. But again, as we spoke earlier, I want people to come together in real life, in person, to connect. Social media has created a certain amount of disconnection where you have all these friends that you never see or even know of. <laughs> so the whole idea of eye contact face-to-face -face is something that um, I think is really important, something that we really need. So I would just say go to gratitudereveal.com and, and that's the, the focal point where everything is happening right now to see where you can find the movie. Thank you so much for coming on the Micropreneur Podcast, Louis Schwartzberg. It's been a real pleasure. Really thank you for all the work that you're putting out there in the world. Take care. Bye-bye. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many micropreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the microverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at Micopreneur Podcast, that's the handle.
Don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Michaelpreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Michaelpreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Michaelpreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Michaelpreneur podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.